0: Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 349 here on the Motorcycle Man Podcast. Joining me today here in the v 2 Cafe is author Lawrence Bransby. Now, Lawrence has several books out on motorcycle travels and is here to tell us about some of those journeys. But first... Before we get into that, the Motorcycle Man podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. Now, they're offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. So to learn more, get on over to scorpionusa.com. And Wild Ass Seats, you can improve your comfort and ability to stay in the saddle longer with a cushion from Wild Ass Seats. So if you're tired of those painful pressure points and fatigue, get on over to wild-ass.com and tell the real Craig Johnson that the Motorcycle Man podcast sent you on over to get yourself a cushion. So do that. Wild ass.com. And of course, our friends over at Tobacco Motorwear. For the best in casual riding gear for men and women, there's only one place you should be going, and that's Tobacco Motorwear. Now visit them at TobaccoMotorwear.com, and our listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the code MOTOMEN. Everyone here at the podcast is wearing Tobacco Riding Jeans and the California Riding Shirt, and I can't tell you how wonderful these products are. I wear them for every ride, and I won't ride without them. Your safety is worth it, so get on over to Tobacco Motorwear and get in Dave's pants. Time now for that interview with Lawrence. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Motorcycle Man podcast. Joining me today, uh, another wonderful author who's got lots of books out, uh, all the way from, where were you located? Oh, I'm in Manchester, United Kingdom. Oh, uh, Lawrence Bransby. Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate you taking the time out to come on the show. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, who haven't read any of your books, and obviously not very smart people, but uh, tell us who you are, your motorcycle self, and what you do.
1: Right. Uh, Ted, uh, you probably hear from my accent that it's not a normal British accent. Um, so I was born in South Africa and uh, spent uh, the first 46 years of my life in South Africa. Um, Obviously, was doing a bit of motorbike riding there. And then uh, at the age of 46, uh, we emigrated to the United Kingdom. And uh, I've been uh, we've been living here ever since. Um, Motorbike riding. uh, How much detail do you want? Just a very sort of a thumbnail sketch. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, my dad wouldn't allow me to have a motorbike. Uh, I'm sure that's uh, the, the, the view of most parents with their little boys who want to ride motorbikes. So I got my first bike when I went to university, which was a Honda CB350, absolute love of my life um and then I didn't have bikes for a while until after I was married and then I went into the old uh, vintage British motorcycling uh, thing
2: okay. I had
1: a triumph tiger and a in and a uh, 650 police special um Psa um horrible things they spent you know spend their lives breaking down and not going and't you know, and then I then I started going into off road, and I started because of course you know you you, you I didn't want a, a a small, I didn't want a 200 cc off road bike, you know the 200 cc those for those are for kids, you see. So I, I started off with a Honda XL 500, thinking you know got to be a 500, you know I mean you can't have a 200 cc, and I started doing a bit of uh, trail riding and a couple of enduros on this thing, and realised very quickly that. Uh, it was a bit stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this thing. It was. Yeah, it would just weighed a ton. So I very soon went down to. Uh, I, I went on an XL. Sorry, an XR 200, a Honda XR 200, an old one, um, and then uh, um, a KDX uh, Kawasaki KDX 200, um, and then yeah, then uh, which we'll we'll talk about later. And then when we decided to leave the UK. Um, I got my son and myself uh, second-hand uh, XT500s, wow. and we rode across Africa on uh, XT500s. And then since then, I've been, um, yeah, just r- riding around the UK and doing my, my long-distance traveling. Uh, at the moment, I'm, I've got two bikes, uh, a dlz four hundred. Which I use for trail riding, but I'm also hoping that uh, I can use it for a long distance trip um, one of these days because the DZ400 DR, pretty much could do anything on, you know. Yeah. Um, and i have got i have got a I've got a, um, a KLE500 which I use for on-road and off-road. Uh, I've converted it. So that's pretty much the background. Um, other than that, I've been a teacher all my life. Um, high school English for twenty-something years in South Africa, and then in the UK, I taught primary school for ten years, and uh, I'm now retired, and uh, enjoying my retirement.
0: <laughs> as you should, as we all, as well, as that, uh, so am I enjoying my retirement. So well, now uh, you've got you've got several books out that chronicle your motorcycle adventures, um, yeah. and it's quite a few. Uh, g- can you give us a uh, a brief overview of, of each of your books. What do you have? Yes, yeah, I can. <laughs> I'll
1: go through in the order that I wrote them. Um, the first the first book was uh, was about my trans Africa trip with uh, my seventeen year old son, um, and uh, that went out in nineteen ninety seven. And it was very much uh, the diary that I kept on the trip, Right. and so I've called that Trans Africa by Motorcycle, and I've called it a Father's Diary as a subheading, mm-hmm. because it's was very much, very much a kind of book about my developing relationship with my son and our riding together. Um, so it was it was uh, an emotional experience in that way, in in, in a kind of sort of bonding with with my son in in that trip. Um, and then I started doing a, a couple of trips into Russia, um, and very tentatively because I was pretty scared of Russia, um, having having grown up in South Africa, you know, where the Russians were the enemy, uh, you know, and we were kind of fighting off um, Russian insurgents uh, or Russian-backed insurgents in in. Um, various parts of, of the country around South Africa. So I, I was quite frightened. So I, I did a couple of trips into into Russia. You wanted to ask a question there, Ted? No, 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 okay. no you're good. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I, I did a, a trip, uh, the first trip was just, just with a toe into Russia, into Kaliningrad. Um, and then I, the next year I went I went further into uh, Mamansk. And then the third trip I I, I did with my son, with Gareth, Uh, we started traveling together from then again, and we went as far as Archangel. And so I put those three trips together into a book, which I called Venture into Russia, Three Motorcycle Journeys. And then from, from then on, for about the next five years, Gareth and I traveled together and did one long trip each year. Uh, so we went to Morocco. The second trip was a, a trip into Morocco and our first sort of taste of riding in the Sahara and the soft sand of the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that book was There No Fat People in Morocco. <laughs> um,
0: I love that title. And then
1: we, we, <laughs> yeah, I, I like that title. And then, and then we, we started the, the first about three trips into Central Asia. Um, so the, the, the first trip... Um, we did, I won't, I'll tell you details about it later, sure. but it was the Wacan Corridor, um, and then the, the next one was the the next two trips into Central Asia, which I called a pass too far. Um, and later on, we'll, I'll tell you why it's called a pass too far. Um, and then I did, um, yeah, and that was the end of my, uh, sort of long trips with Gareth, because his work uh, got to the point where his work couldn't couldn't allow him to take three to four weeks off on a motorcycle jolly. True. Um yeah, so then I did a trip through Vietnam um on a solo trip, which I've called by motorcycle through Vietnam, Reflections on a Gracious People. Um and then I did my complete trans Russia trip from um Kyrgyzstan where I'd left the bike right through to Magadan on the far Siberian East Coast and then back to the UK. Um, and then the final book is just a compilation of all of my magazine articles that I've had published over the years, which I've called Tales from the Road. So those are my eight travel uh, motorcycle adventure travelogues that are published now.
0: Yeah, they're, they're not all audio books right now, are they?
1: Yeah, they're all on audio as oh, yeah, well as paper, books, as well as uh, ebooks on Amazon and Audible.
0: Okay, because I've got, uh, I've I managed to listen to, i got the Wacken Corridor, uh, Venture into Russia, Trans Africa, and uh, Pass Too Far, and Two Fingers on the Jugular. Those are the ones that I've got, that I've listened to already. Um, very, very entertaining. Uh, they are entertaining, believe it or not. I, I, th- I think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would have to say probably a Pass Too Far and Wacken Corridor are my favorite so far. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I I, I kind of like lived through your frustrations through all of the books, though. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think you know,
1: you, I remember you you remember that one little bit in in um, I think it was in in the Wakand corridor where I kind of question, um, and I think any any long distance motorcycle motorcyclists will at some stage sit there and think.
0: Why am I doing or this?
1: Why, why on earth am I doing this? Why am I here? You know, and, and you, you're dirty and you're hot and you're tired and your bike's packing up. And you and you just think, you know what? I could, right now, I could be sitting in, in, in my lounge with a cold beer in my hand and, a, you know, sport on the telly with my feet up and nice and warm and comfortable. And I've got a lovely soft bed waiting for me and the food in the fridge. And what the hell am I doing? yeah in the middle of Central Asia you know tired yeah.
0: and, oh. <laughs> I, I, I felt I totally felt your anguish at that point in, in the book and I'm like I, I totally agree I mean it's it's not the first time I've uh, I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks and most of them are motorcycle travel books and the frustrations that I hear with uh, many authors such as yourself who go th- the things that the, similar things, that they go through on these travels, and I go like, my God! At some point, you gotta to want to throw the towel and say, I give up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, you use different motorbikes for each one of these trips. Is that correct? No, um, there have been a few motorbikes,
1: but um, on the on the whole, um, the yeah, on on the whole, it was was mainly two um other than uh, a few uh, it was a KLE 500 which is perhaps a strange bike to to take for a uh, long distance adventure travel because it's it's pretty much 80 percent road and 20 percent off-road okay um but i did i did a little bit of conversion on it put novelty tires on and stuff but i just i just used that because of the kelly 500's reliability i mean it's just proven the engine is is bulletproof and um, you know it proved itself. I've uh, you know did the the Morocco trip into the desert, and then just a, sh- a short while ago, a couple of years ago, I did another trip into the Sahara with a with a mate of mine. We went into Mauritania, and we we did the uh, into the 300k's des- into the desert, following the Mauritanian uh, uh, iron ore railway line. Wow! Um, and I did that on the on the KLE 500 and. Yeah, and and one of the trips into Central Asia on the KLE, and it, yeah, I mean at the end of the, that, that Central Asia trip, it was pretty, it, it was pretty wiped out. Um, but uh, I've I've got another KLE. I just love them. I think they're incredibly reliable. Just put your finger on the button for a second, and it starts, and it purrs, and it never ever stops. You know. Um, <laughs> but then, uh, we did, then the other we did we did the other two trips into Central Asia. On 25-year-old uh, DR-350s, um, and then the same DR-350 that I took across—we so did uh, the Central Asia trips with—I um, then took across, right across Russia, 20,000 k's um, wow. on this old DR-350 that had been sitting in a shed for two years um, in in uh, Osh in, in Kyrgyzstan. Um, you know, and again, they're, they're bulletproof. They um, they just they just keep going. Well, I say they keep going. Of course, you you'll know by now that mm-hmm. <laughs> Gareth <laughs> one in the mountains, and um, and we had to abandon it. But um, yeah, those are the the main bikes. Obviously, I, 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 my Vietnam trip I did on a on a small Honda trail bike because Vietnam won't allow um, large capacity bikes. Oh no, kidding! Um, really? I yeah. That.
2: Oh wow. Yeah,
1: one two five is the is the largest they'll allow. Wow. In Vietnam, wow. Although it did, at one stage, I did meet some guys in in Vietnam um, on larger bikes, but they must they must have uh, got special permission or something. But when I did the research, one two five was the maximum you could use in Vietnam.
0: Well, maybe there's um, a special condition for those who are just with visas who are just passing through.
1: No, maybe so. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, ma- mainly the two, the KLE and the DL three hundred and fifty are the two bikes that I. I used mainly on all of my trips.
0: Wow. And what became of them?
1: Um, well, sadly, I sold the the XT500s after the Trans-Africa trip. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, those, those bikes now, they're worth an absolute fortune because they're so iconic. Um, but, you know, as with all these things, at, at the time, you don't know that yeah um these were were two pretty shot out bikes that had just traveled right across africa and um and uh yeah i sold those uh the 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 kelly 500 well my first russian trip uh, as you know i i think i I did on a 1971 bmw 50 stroke 5 um which was absolute hell on wheels um this thing just (laughs) broke down every single day all day it just broke down um and in the end i I cut the trip short i was i was heading for mamansk and ended up um just getting into kaliningrad and turning back because this thing just simply broke down all the time um the and then I got the the, the, the KLE 500, which was the, just incredible. This thing did the entire trip to, to Murmansk without missing a beat, you know. Yeah. Um, absolutely uh, the way motorcycling ought to be, you know. Oh. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that, that same KLE I went to uh, did the trip into, into Morocco, uh, and then our first trip into Central Asia, and after that, it was trashed so, um. I got rid of that one. Got another KLE and it got stolen very shortly after I'd completely restored it. Um, yeah, and I got the third oh, KLE gosh. which I which I still have. The DR350s uh, once again after um, after the two Central Asia trips and the Trans-Russia trip. It was pretty shot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would and, think um, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I sold it. Um, I'm sad I did. I'd like to get another one. I think they're just they're just marvelous bikes to have. So yeah, I sold that one, and then of course um, Garrus bike, which uh, I think there is, is a story in in the telling of uh, of Gareth's DR350, which we abandoned in yeah, up in the Palmier Mountains uh, near the end of Matt's Pass. But uh, later on in the podcast, uh, I'm sure you lead me to that, and I'll tell you about. It. <laughs>
0: I'm sure. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was quite interesting. You know, uh, and to, yeah. to be honest with you, at, at some points it, it throughout all of your books, and like I said earlier, at, at some point I was listening. How did how do you endure this? <laughs> I, I mean, how are you doing this? I'm like, why? half a person would have just gave up a long time ago but we'll get into that in a second now of all of your audiobooks that I've checked with so far and I've gone through four of them find you find you in Russia yeah okay so and I have to ask why (laughs) um
1: I don't know. There's, there's something about Russia that that just draws me back, um, and I think part of it is just the sheer vastness of Russia. I mean, it is it is the biggest country in the world by far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's over 17. I got it. I, I checked it out on just so I had it there. Just over 17 million square kilometres, and and they've got a tiny population. So the majority of of Russia is is unpopulated right. or very, very, very sparsely populated. You know, right up in the north is just is just permafrost. It, it's constantly snow-covered. Um, in the far east, it's virtually unpopulated, just uh, what they call taiga, which is this alpine forest just going on for thousands of miles of the same, you know. Yeah. And you've got this road just going for day upon day upon day through this endless nothingness um yeah so it's huge i mean if you think if you what you want to do is you want to have a look at a map of russia and um it is scarily large um it's it's twice. i mean again i I just before the podcast i just did a quick check and and canada the size of canada and china and and the usa are approximately the same about nine nine million square kilometers and then, so Russia is twice the size of China, you know, just under twice the size of twice yeah. the size of Canada, twice the size of America. Um, but I think what what the other thing is is that you know what I hate in travelling is red tape. Um, I hate the hassles of, of trying to get visas yeah. and getting through borders and stuff. So once you once you through the border into Russia. Then you've got seventeen million square kilometres to travel in without having to go through another border.
0: This is you know, true. without
1: the hassle. Right. Um and, and, and that is that is great. And I mean if you want if you want a country that offers you remote travel, <laughs> you can't you can't do better than than Russia. It is just it's just huge and empty and well, I like that emptiness. You know, I just hate cities.
0: I, oh yeah, I well, I, I'm with you on that. Totally with you on um, that. <clears throat> and the people.
1: I mean, the people are just people are just great, wonderful, lovely, lovely, lovely
0: people. Well, uh, not, not not all, as we'll discuss in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> now, but each of but each of these adventures that you went on uh, brought with them a different set of challenges, as always, as they always do. But I sensed that there was one particular challenge, or a, a series of the challenges, that sort of followed you everywhere you went. Was that the, was that the case?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I, I was thinking about this, and I think perhaps just distance and time constraints is is a huge one. You know, not so much with me, although yeah, no, it was also with me because uh, because. Uh, my wife, for most of my trips, was still alive. My wife died just before my Trans-Russia trip. Sorry, um, and, so, and she was slowly but surely getting more ill. And, and, and I was feeling more and more guilty taking time away doing my motorbike trips. Um, so, uh, so time constraints. Uh, and then for Gareth, my son, um, getting away from, from work. Um, so you're pressured for time and you're sitting there thinking of, right, I'm going to ride all the way, um, to central Asia, um, you know, for a motorbike trip. And, and so consequently, as a result of this, you're, you're kind of riding all day, every day, um, you know, from sun, sunrise to sunup without a break for two weeks, sorry, for three weeks or three and a half weeks, um. And so it's pretty tiring. And um, that's the one thing. And the other is the more remote the regions that you're traveling in, uh, the worse the roads are, obviously. So you have the concern of just how much hammering your bike can take before it breaks in half, you know. Um, And and just on so many number of times, both Gareth and I' have looked at one another and just said, "How on earth are these bikes still holding together how can how can a human being design and manufacture something that will go through this amount of punishment without breaking? You know it's just quite remarkable right um, yeah.
0: Although you you did have uh you, you seem to have a problem with tires though well well I didn't Gareth did
1: <laughs> it, was like, it was like a standing joke between us that that you know I would keep turning and uh, gareth I kind of mocked him by, by saying that you know I thought he that he aimed for the for the fawns and the stuff he he deliberately aimed for the bad stuff because most of the most of the punctures were his um yeah I I've, I've had so a couple of nasty uh, uh, punctures uh, but not not bad ones and not not as often as you might expect uh, considering the the number of kilometers that we've or miles in yeah. America that we have traveled um, yeah I, I haven't had many punctures the worst worst two punctures for me were when, when I was riding across the road of bones in the far eastern siberia um, I, I punctured both my front and back tires uh, ripped the valve out of my front tire, mm. and wow. punctured my cool. rear. Um, and I, I, you know, I want you just to imagine this, right? So you're you, you're in the the very far eastern Siberia, right? Uh, nothing for thousands of kilometers, really, or other than tiny little perhaps a settlement. And you've got a flat tire, and there's a million mosquitoes mm. in a cloud around your head, trying to suck your blood, and it's. You know, the, the rivers are iced up. It's, it's cold and it's muddy and it's been raining on you for two solid days and you're cold and you've got a puncture and you're sitting in the mud on this track and you think, now I've got to take my back wheel off. <laughs> I've, got to jack, I've got to jack this DR350 up on a piece of plank that I've got because it only has a side stand and get the back wheel off and then repair the puncture and then get the back wheel on again you know how you've got to fit the spacers. You need four hands, right? You've got you've got the wheel, <laughs> yeah. got the wheel in your lap. You get wheel in your lap, so you, you you squeeze up in the mud with the wheel in your lap, and you try and line it up. And then you've got to have one hand for the for the left spacer, one hand for the right spacer. You've got to have fingers to to open up the brake pads to get the. The, the, the brake disc in, <laughs> and then you've got to have your fourth hand ready to shove the shaft through the spindle through when it's all lined up, right? And you're all on your own, and uh, you do all this, and you know when that spindle goes through, <laughs> you've done it, and the bike hasn't fallen over. And in the meantime, you're trying to flap these mosquitoes. It's millions of mosquitoes. It looks like they're trying to kill you. I've had, <laughs> you, you told me that, Ted, you know, you'll you, you, you love this. So I, I, I repair the, I, I put my spare tube in, okay, and um, I, I, I very carefully, because on a number of occasions, having changed tires with tire levers, you, you puncture the tube again when you're putting it in. Yep. You, know, you know the story. So I, I'm putting this tube in, get it in perfectly, and I fire up my little, my little electric pump, and nothing happens. And uh, you know what I did? I brought as my spare tube, a tube that Gareth and I had used when we were in Central Asia, which had punctured, and I didn't check it. (laughs) So I put a punctured tube into my tire, put the tire back on, and then I had to do the whole thing
0: again, (laughs) patch the puncture. You know, I often, I've often wondered. Have you ever heard? Have you ever heard of those cans of stuff called Fix a Flat? Yeah, they don't work.
1: It doesn't work. No, they're rubber. Absolutely, I've never, never seen one ever work. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I have. I'm lying. I was at a motor. It was at a motorcycle trade show thing, and this guy had a had a tire there, and he had a, a Phillips screwdriver, and he punched this Phillips screwdriver through the tire. And and it, it just immediately miraculously healed itself, so I thought absolutely that's it that's for me and I, I bought this stuff, and uh, it never it never worked. <laughs> it never worked. <laughs> in fact, in, fact, in uh, uh, two days ago, in the, when we were trail riding on the Isle of Man, one of the guys we were with he had a, he had a puncture. So Gareth and I worked out the tube, and we took out the valve, and out from the valve came this gunky green slime stuff. Oh, Gareth no. looked at me, yeah, oh, I, I see you put some slime in the tire. You realize <laughs> it, it, it makes it very hard for the patch to seal. <laughs> oh, now, no. I assume, I assume they, they must work. Uh, I, I, they, they have to work at some stage. But i have never seen them work and they've never worked for me so i don't use them <laughs> it's
0: funny because they have this stuff for mountain bikes it's called slime and yeah no, 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 it's kind fun. of a, i guess it's a similar stuff but what they found it actually doesn't doesn't really puncture the holes but it does adhere to the inside of the the uh the tube but it makes you yeah. real unbalanced Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. It just kind of makes it worse, really. Yeah,
1: well, it's okay. When you leave your bike, it's just there and all, all sort of congregates at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> you got to keep that wheel moving.
0: That's <laughs> right. Constantly moving. And that overwork. So, let's, uh, briefly, let's, let's get into um, Two Fingers on the Jugular. That was the first yeah. book I listened to. And okay. and it was a long book, so that, that makes me happy because that means there's a lot of storytelling. Yeah. Um, you, you seem to have a lot of frustrations with the Russian way. So how did you cope with those frustrations? Because, you know, the Russians obviously doing things the way they want to do things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got to balance
1: this with the fact that the Russian people are, on the whole are generally ge- are really lovely, lovely people. Okay, okay, so that's on the one side. But there were a couple of things. You know what? what well, the, the language barrier for me was a frustration, but that's oh, yeah. got nothing to do with the Russians. That's just got to do with me being stupid and not being able to learn a foreign language, even <laughs> though I
0: tried many times. Um, it seems like so a that, difficult language to learn.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is It is a very difficult language to learn, uh, but I, I, I managed to, to learn enough phrases to get by, and then I used Google Translate, which is absolutely marvelous. Yeah. Um, but yeah it was just it was just strange you know when you 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 think that the russians were the first people on earth who put a satellite into orbit right so Mm. they've got to be they've got to be technologically advanced so you ask yourself if they are technologically so advanced that they can send a the first rocket into space uh, why can't they mix concrete so that it doesn't <laughs> why can't they? Why can't they lay tiles in a bathroom that don't crack? Or, or have joint pipes that don't leak? Or, or, or put reinforcing in concrete that doesn't stick out and trip you up when you're walking along the pavement and rust? You know what I mean? It's yeah. a, it's, there's, a, there's a sloppiness there that You just look at anything, and it's done in a kind of a half-hearted fashion, and it's cracked, and it's breaking, and it's lumpy. And yeah, that that I just found strange. You
0: know, I sense there lacks a uh, a a work ethic. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, perhaps that's it. I mean, it was lovely. The one time Gareth and I were were riding along this dirt road um, in in Russia they going quite fast. <laughs> and I saw something, you know, something ahead. And I, I kind of, what's, what's that stick? And it was it was a, at the end of a log sticking through the road. And I just thought, from, you know, if we'd hit that, we would have been somersaulting down the road. And you imagine the kind of when they were making it, the, the guys there's a bit of a log sticking through. Ah, what the hell, you know,
0: just
1: <laughs> <You're> leave it. It'll <laughs> we'll, we'll get worn down over time. Don't worry about it, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you know, I I'm I'm listening to this. I'm thinking like, you know, here we are at, at that time. Now this trip took place in the nineties, correct? No, two fingers on the jugular. Yes.
1: No, 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 no. It was it was a short while ago. Um, Oh God! You asking me dates now? Uh, about five years ago.
0: Really? 16- oh, so wow. Yeah. So here yeah. we are. Okay, so we're in the twenty teens at least, and yeah. I have to ask, why aren't the roads in better condition? I mean, and why is there any dirt roads? I mean, I mean, dirt roads are great. Don't get me wrong, but. Why is there? Why is there nothing paved? Why are they in such bad shape? You know, it, they're just not well, devoting any effort whatsoever to that. No, no,
1: no. Not, no it's got, no, it's not to do with effort at all. It's to do with the vastness of the country and the very small population. I mean, you, it, you know, it's it's similar in a way to Canada. Canada's just this vast country with very few people in it. So, um, you know, you, you 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 think of the logistics yeah, of, of trying course. to to put tar roads uh, through this vast country, and I mean. The other thing about about Russia is during during communism they, because it was a communist state, they were able to subsidize um, industries in the far extremes of the country, okay. They could run them at a loss because um, it was a communist state. Um, Whereas now these places have to be economically viable and they're just dying because they're not economically viable. Right. They have to and fight then, for themselves. You think of, um, I mean, the majority of population in Russia um, is in the West, the Western bit. That's, that's quite oh. heavily populated. And the further East you go, the fewer and fewer and fewer people there are. So you, you imagine m- making a, a road through the Taiga um, of, you know, 10,000 kilometers when there's just a couple of small well a couple of large cities but like like 3 or something you know it's just not economically viable to uh, to build tar roads and and, and fancy infrastructure they just can't do it wow. you
0: know that's something you know, you think of the, nobody yeah. thinks of the the vastness of something like that you, you you know even here in the States, you know there's nothing that far away That you can do it. It's just not you know. There's nothing that far away. Like even in the UK, it's not that far away. You can do it. Um, uh, The word "yet." Did Did you become comfortable with that word? It seemed to be a constant companion for you.
1: (laughs) Again, I've got to be. I've got to be balanced here. You know, I've got to balance. That with with the the, the the loveliness of the Russian people, mainly mainly the men. The men were fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they're always crazy. offering you
0: a drink. That's
1: for sure. <laughs> and, and, and maybe uh, the, a lot of them were the, were bikers that we met. And then, um, but you get what I what I regard as a certain type of Russian woman. <laughs> she's she's middle she's middle aged and she's she's rather rather plump. And she's got this, this faith that looked like she was a, a, a kind of a prison guard in the gulag. <laughs> and, um, and when when you meet one of these women, it's incredibly frustrating because if you if they're like in the, in the foyer of a hotel or and then in the shop and you come up to the desk and you want to pay or you want service, they'll kind of ignore you as if you don't exist. And then when they do... Come to serve you. They'll look through you as if you're like a turd that you've kind of pulled <laughs> into it, and, and 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 you know they'll they'll speak to you in a in a rapid machine gun fire Russian, knowing that you're a foreigner and because you've 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 spoken to them in your tentative handful of words of Russian. So so they will know that you can't speak Russian, but they will fire at you with this Russian torrent. And then you kind of try and make noises that you don't understand, and they'll <laughs> fire at you again. And it's just as if as if you are you are an encumbrance to their lives, you know. And and they want to get rid of you as fast as they can. Um, so yeah, you do get some 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 horrible ones, but on the whole, they were
0: lovely. Did you wonder I mean, at like, any <laughs> point that they yeah. do understand what you're saying? And they they, no. they understand, and no. they're just messing with you. They don't know. No, they, no, no,
1: they didn't understand no. a word. It, it, no, very 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 little English is spoken anywhere in Russia. Wow, uh, that's uh, amazing. The further, and the further east you go, um, there's just no English at all. I mean, you know, not a chance. Um, <laughs> so well, Google yeah, Translate
0: come in handy though, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I've got a, on this point, I've got to share this anecdote about about one of these. A couple of these ladies and translate the the two dovetail. So I was it was coming near the end of the day, right? And I was I thought well I need to start looking for somewhere to stay. And I came into this village, and uh, and I thought oh I'll ask at the shop. So there was a little a little shop there, what they call a a, a scrap. And uh, I went in, and there were there was a woman behind the counter and a woman talking to her, and they were of these this type of woman, all right. So I, I went, tentatively went up to them and um, I, I tried my little bit of Russian about asking for accommodation and I got this blank, blank, blank stare. You know, I was interrupting their conversation. You know, who the hell are you? Go away. <clears throat> and then I had this marvelous idea because before the trip, um, I, I had two pieces of Russian translated for me by uh, a friend, by one of the bikers, in fact, that that Gareth and I met on our our trip to Russia together, my third Russian trip. And I contacted him and I said, I I, I need some Russian, please, on a piece of paper. And the one basically was um, asking, please, could you help me? I need accommodation. Is there a hotel or a hostel or a... Uh, Something uh, that I could spend the night at. So that was the one in Russian. I had it in my wallet. So at the right time, I could take this out and just hand it to someone, and they would read it and they would know that I'm looking for accommodation. And the other piece of paper, the other one was in Russian. I was basically trying to explain why I wasn't prepared to get drunk on a bottle of vodka with a bunch of Russians. Wow. And the reason the reason for this is that it's an interesting story because um, when Gareth and I met the this the Black Bears um, quite serendipitously, a black bears motorcycle club in, in Russia and they invited us to join them. Um, and we spent three days with them. But on the on the one guy's bike he had a he had a photograph of a of a biker with something written in Russian underneath and we, we asked him what that was about. And he said, "No, it was a it was a, a Russian biker that they all knew, and that his his life's uh, his his life sort of aim was to ride his motorbike across to Vladivostok. And um, one day he managed to to get the time and the money to do the trip, and he rode his bike to Vladivostok. And he was on his way back, and he was in some one horse Russian village somewhere in the far eastern Siberia." And, and and he was in a pub in a bar or something, and and he was having a drink or two, and one of the local yokels uh, came and, and and asked him, offered him another shot of vodka, and he felt he'd had enough, and he refused, and this guy took exception, and left the pub, came back with a shotgun, and blew the guy's head off. Wow! And, and evidently, the police knew who it was and they weren't prosecuting. So a a large number of bikers throughout Russia were were having this guy's photograph on the front of their bikes in a kind of a protest against the police who were doing nothing for this guy who'd murdered one of their mates. So I, I was now planning my trip into Russia and I was rather frightened that when I was traveling in the far Russian East, that that some Russian guy was going to take exception when he tried to get me to drink. And, and I'm mean, I'm not a great drinker, you know, I'll have a shot or two and then, then that's enough. Thank you. I don't want to get drunk under the table. So I, how can I do this? So I asked my mate to, to translate something, which basically said, look, I've got a medical condition and I, I I can't drink too much. Otherwise I'm going to end up in hospital. And I thought that might placate them. Then you know, I stop them shooting my head off. Um, so I had this one in my wallet as well. So I've got these two, russian women looking at me as if i i brought turd in on my on my shoes and i thought i don't know what i'm going to do i'm going to get out my piece of paper so i whip out my little piece of paper and i and i unfold it and i hold it in front of their faces right so they can read it and they they give it a cursory glance and they look at me as if i am mad and don't say anything and in the end, embarrassed, I kind of fold it up and I go back out, get on my bike, and I start riding. And only then does it dawn on me. And You know what I'm about to say, don't you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I got out the wrong piece of paper. So here I was, this 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 foreign biker who comes into the shop and 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 pulls out a piece of paper. To these two women, which basically says, "Look, I have a problem with alcohol. If I drink too much, I'm going to end up in hospital." <laughs> <laughs>
0: they don't know what to do with that. <laughs> they don't know Why what to do, to do with
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, it, but in a couple of your books, you had the wonderful chance to share many, these many frustrations with your son. Right? Yeah. yeah. Did, did did he seem a bit? He said he seemed, of course, in your books. He seemed a little bit indifferent to those challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Indifferent to the challenges. Um, I
1: I am incredibly fortunate to have the most amazing kids, and I, I say plural because I have a daughter who's two years younger than Gareth, and and she is as as amazing as he is. Um, and yeah, he he, Gareth does not get hassled by anything. Um, he is he's a stoic. Um, he's he's phlegmatic. Um, he just he just takes whatever comes, and and, and that's pleasure as well as pain. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a whooper, you know. He's like, yee ha, you know. He he just he's just sort of if he if he had an incredible he just ridden an incredible trail uh, and it's just marvelous and you know the the best the most you'll get out of him is a is a quiet smile and a you know that that was great <laughs>
0: <laughs> whatever <laughs>
1: yeah, but it's a, you know and and that to me is it's just i love it it's absolutely fantastic that you know, we could we could ride for for when we we're going to Morocco. The first three days, going through Europe, um, we, we just we just rode through rain for three days. We were sodden oh. for three days, cold and sodden and wet. And you know, there's not a murmur. He doesn't complain if it's stinking hot. And we, you know, he doesn't complain. <laughs> and if we've got no food, you know, we we whatever. We just eat whatever we'll eat. And uh, you know, if we we're in a you know rat infested uh, Soviet-era hotel, which is so grotty that you know, I just looked at one another
0: and, and burst out laughing. It was so bad. <laughs> was, yeah, that, was that, that frustrating was, for you, though? I mean, here you are, you're miserable, and he's not sharing in your misery?
1: Well, uh, I tend not to whinge either. So, you know, one can be miserable, but you don't whinge about it. You know, you just, it's just part of motorbiking. You yeah. know, you ride along with and you're thinking to yourself, why am I here? Yeah. You know, when you've got, when you, when the wetness, when the wetness travels down your neck and then, and up from your feet and then starts to meet around your nether regions <laughs> and you sit sitting on your feet knowing that your <laughs> underpants are now sodden because it's come up from the bottom and down from the top. <laughs> and you riding through, and you asking, "Why am I doing this?" But you know, you don't, you don't, you think it, but you don't whinge it. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. I
0: suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's, I have an, an interesting question for you, and I I, 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 think you know where I'm going with this. During these rides, did you assume the role of father, friend, or just travel companion?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> you know, interesting, because Gareth and I have been traveling together for for a long time. Right. Um, You'll, you'll be interested to know that the first adventure trip that Gareth and I did together was when he was 11. Wow. <laughs> oh, crap. Yeah. So he got, his, he got his first bike, uh, which was a little Suzuki 80 with a, with a wicked power band, um, when he was probably nine or so. And, and then when he finished primary school, um, just before he started high school, I thought, right, you know, here's the rite of passage. I'm gonna, we're gonna go on our first trip together, and um, we did a trip uh, right round uh, the the mountain kingdom of Lesotho, which is a which is an independent kingdom uh, in inside South Africa. Um, and Gareth, although he was riding a, a an XR 200, <laughs> wow. his feet could just touched the ground. And, um, and that's the joy perhaps of riding in Africa in that, um, you know, obviously at the age of 11, he didn't have a license. (laughs) Don't worry about things like that. So that was our first trip together. And obviously, you know, I was the, I was the father and he was a little kid and we were riding together. And then, um, our next long trip together was when he was 17 and we, we rode Trans-Africa when we emigrated from South Africa to the UK. Um, Gareth and I flew back, um, and then rode our xt 500s across Africa to the UK. So he was 17 then, and still, you know, he was an older teenager, but still, you know, I was I was leading the trip, and yeah. and he was following. So I I made all the decisions, and 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 had that huge weight of responsibility on my shoulders. Um, and then our next trip together was uh, my third trip to Russia, and I invited him to join me. He was working in Germany at the time. And um, and we did that trip together. So once again, it was sort of my trip. But within a very short time, it was kind of shared. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, we, we, were, we were making decisions together and we were doing it together. Sure. Um, and then what's so interesting, from then, pretty much from then on, the the roles changed. <laughs> and Gene started... <laughs>
0: student becomes teacher
1: (laughs) yeah he he started planning the trips and then he would sort of contact me and say you know yeah what what about this um how about this and and then and he took the lead in in the planning and and i sort of became the follower um which was which was great because you know gareth led us into into places which where i would not go (laughs) Put it that way. Oh? He's far more, far more adventurous than, oh, okay. than I am.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, you know, we, we did things that I would would never have done on my own. Um and I certainly wouldn't have wanted to, wanted to lead someone else and have the responsibility of of that. Um but he is incredibly capable. And and very adventurous, and so I sort of was. T- after that Russian trip, I was then tagging along um, off after him, and um, yeah, I, I, I got to the point where quite quite often I would be riding along and and thinking, "Wow, I mean, this is just incredible." How many fathers of my age? Would be invited along by their adult son to share these long-distance trips, and I knew at some stage it had to end. You know, at some stage yeah. I was going to get too old to be able to do them, and it would it would end. And I, I just valued them while they were lasting. You know,
0: right? Wow. Were there any was there was there any point throughout any of these trips where you wish he wasn't with you, uh, and glad he was?
1: okay well the 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 first one is is very easy and and i am so incredibly privileged to be able to say that with both my kids my daughter and my son we we get on incredibly well that's good and so not not once on a single one of those trips was there ever uh, a bad word a a disagreement an argument uh uh, 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 falling out, it just
0: never happened. Right. It, it once. Well, I'm speaking um, mostly for the safety reasons and things like that. How do you mean? Well, like, uh, like you, it, there's, a, I think there was one particular point where you guys were going through the mountains and, and uh, they might have been uh, passed too far. And you, for his safety, you kind of you mentioned that you thought maybe you wish he wasn't there for that reason because because of his safety. Was that ever an issue?
1: No, 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 I think you, you might have, you certainly would have misread that in, in, I would never have thought that I wished he wasn't there, but, but yes, um, there, that particular one, um, it was, it was an interesting one because, um, as you know from from the book, um we'd we'd lost Gareth's bike his his engine seized um up in the 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 Palmer mountains and we abandoned it and and went carried on with my bike and then the, the this pass came to an end in the river and so we walked out. and Gareth was very ill at that stage um, he he wasn't eating, he was vomiting, he had he had stomach trouble and he was he, he he was in in a bit of a bad way yeah um. And I suddenly realised, um, yeah, with a bit of a shock, that suddenly now, after having kind of my son being the leader for so many of the trips, suddenly I had to step up and and take some of the responsibility because he was ill and he wasn't really able. And I say that I say that hesitantly because. You know, he, as I said, he's he's the stoic that he is. He just plodded on. So, feeling ill and weak as he was, he just didn't complain. He just carried on. Although, at, at one, once he, he was sort of sitting down and and, and his head hanging, and he, um, I can't remember his actual words, but I think something like, um, I, "I've got, I haven't got much left," um, you know, like the ta- the tank is pretty empty, you know. And um, and I realised that that we, we were in a, we were in a bit of a trouble, and and I had to I had to um, kind of step up there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know after after sleeping the, the night um, in in an abandoned hut that we found, um, you know the next morning he was he was still feeling very very ill, and uh, I thought well okay the only thing I've got to do now is I've got to try I've got to walk out, and the, the closest village that. We had been staying in was about 30 Ks away. so I thought I'd, I'd better start walking because I could, I could make it in the day and then try and get so sort of, vehicle back to pick him up. But no, he insisted to, he insisted on carrying on walking, uh, walking it with me, and, and I realized just how bad he was, because I was, I was the one who was carrying the water. And normally he would he would never have he would never have allowed that he would have he would have carried the water you know yeah. and um, the fact that that I was carrying the water and he was just barely able to to uh, to walk up the hills um, you know we, we'd walk like like 50 meters and then sit down and, and he'd have to recover and then
0: yeah. go on. So I think a, know, sort of, yeah, as a father, yeah. that must have been tough for you to see him in that condition.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Um, and, and in fact, what was what was perhaps more, perhaps one of the most profoundly moving experiences for me was a couple of days later when we, when we we went back in to try and save my bike, which we'd abandoned as well in the mountains, and um, and uh, we, we we hiked back uh, to my bike. Um, fortunately, it started. And then we rode it up to where his bike, his seat engine bike was, uh, emptied his petrol out into mine, uh, unbolted a few things that we wanted to take. And then Gareth headed off up this, this pass, which was like a goat track, um, on his own. Uh, and I had to walk back out on my own. And he headed off, and I could just hear, you know, watch the bike putting up over the rocks, like a like a mountain goat, and then he went around a corner, and I listened for the engine, and then the engine died, and I was just I was surrounded with this silence, of um, in the middle of the Pamir Mountains in Central Asia, entirely on my own, and my son, heading off up this pass, which you know teetered on the edge of. Of a cliff at times, with a with a raging river down the bottom, and I just thought, you know, I might never see him again. If he if he were to come off and and and, and plummet down one of those cliffs into the, no one would ever find him. You know, he would, you wow. would never know yeah. where he went off. Um, and I didn't know whether he was going to make it. Um, and then I had to walk out myself, and there was this very, it was a strangely profound feeling of. Of wow, you know, being alone, um, not having him there, um, yeah, yeah, that was that was quite profound. But then you, you asked, you asked again. Where, so there were, there were times when you asked, there times when I, I didn't want him there, it, you know, times when we had any conflict, and no, there were just never times of that. And times when it was good having him there. Oh my gosh! <laughs> mm. G- Gareth is is <clears throat> a remarkable engineer in that if anything can be fixed, he will fix it.
0: Awesome. That, that's um, the kind of trait to have, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, be, that, be, that, be it engines, be it computers, be it electronics, be it anything. If, if it can be fixed and is broken, he will fix it. Um, and just quietly, you know, so if the bike yeah. packs up or you got a puncture or something, there's no histrionics. It, so it's just quietly, just quietly gets the tools out and settles down and, and fixes it. And he's the kind of guy who, when, you know, when I, when I make a repair, it always ends up about 80% or 70% of how it ought to be. <laughs> you know, there's, always, right. there's always one bolt that will strip. There's always something that won't quite line up and you've got to bodge it. Whereas with when Gareth repairs something, when he's finished with it, it's better than it was before. Um, So yeah, it's it's from that point of view, it's incredible having him along. Um, And then just from the companion of companionship side, you know, you asked whether our trips were I was sort of father. Well, in the early when he was a child, when he was young, I I was the father. Um, But then. we just became companions and it, it's strange you know when you when you're a bunch of bikers together age age doesn't come into it yeah. you know yeah. you can be riding at, as an old man and you can have a 20 something guy riding with you and it's not a 20 something and a 70 year old it's two bikers yeah. and you know you're sharing the same passion and you're sharing the same love and um Quite often, I've got to kind of give myself a jolt and think, now hold on a second. You know, I'm 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 the father here, and he's my son, and I'm not thinking of it like that. I'm thinking of we're just two companions together, and age just is not there. Right. You know, um, in terms of having him along with me, though, uh, one yeah, you know, a couple of things come to mind, other than obviously breakdowns, but. You know, we were we were in Morocco, and we were co- going across the section of the desert, which was um, pretty, it was right down south near the Algerian border. And uh, it was a two-day crossing. And um, we were following this little track. Now, Gareth had, on the internet, he'd found an old Paris-Dakar track, which evidently was marked with cairns or something. And, and he'd, he'd put little waypoints on his, on his GPS and we were supposedly trying to find this. But the track that we were following was kind of edging off uh, away from it, and further and further away, and this track was getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it kind of looked as if a large grader had traveled across the desert with a, with a big hook. You know, they, 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 you get these massive rippers, and it looked as if this tractor had gone across the desert surface with a ripper. And then we we were following this and I can remember we stopped and we thought what do we do now because we we kind of had enough fuel if we turned back we could make it back to to a place where we could get fuel if we carried on we might not have enough fuel and you know the fear of you know that fear of riding into the desert and the track getting smaller and smaller and then disappearing and you don't quite know where to go. Yeah. But we still we still had this faint track, or we had the, the waypoints that were now kind of a couple of kilometers further away on the other side. And we what do we do? Do we do we head off across the desert and try and find these waypoints? Or do we keep on following the track and hope that it's gonna lead us through and I, I got to the point where I said, "Well, I I, I don't want to make this decision." <laughs> <laughs> I kind of in my mind, I thought, "Well, okay, if Gareth says we'll do it, I'll go. I'll follow. will follow. If he says we turn back, I'll turn back." And and I, in a cowardly fashion, left the decision up to him. And <laughs> he said, "No, no, we'll, we'll carry on." <laughs> That's
0: was <not> his fault, <laughs> and, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was very much me following uh, because, again, I trusted him. You know, I trusted that that he could get us through, and uh, and he did. <laughs>
0: wow, that's awesome. Now, yeah. you guys also had the opportunity to travel through the stands in, in, yeah. in many cases. Did they offer you the same challenges as passing through Russia?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, obviously the stands um, were all part of the USSR before it, it all fell apart. And so they were very much part of Russia and very similar to Russia. So, so Russian is the lingua franca in the majority of the stands. Mm-hmm. And um, and the conditions, uh, the, the infrastructure the uh, is, is pretty much the same as you'll find anywhere in Russia. Wow. So, yeah, pretty – well, in, in, in many ways worse. Uh, you know, in Central Asia, the roads would be far, far worse than anything you'd find in Russia – you know the main roads in Russia are, are are pretty. Are they're okay? You know they're they're tarred, um, but in Central Asia, the majority of the roads are, are dirt. Wow!
0: So and, yeah, and that can make travel a little difficult at times. Bit. <laughs> What'd you guys do for food and lodging for most of your trips? What? Well, how how was that handled? You know what you 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 kind of you kind of learn
1: as the more you travel in remote places that if there are human beings around, you're going to be able to get food somewhere. You know, you'll always, you'll always get food and uh, you've just got to be prepared to, to, to eat whatever's available. Um, and and so you, you do you will find little little shops or little markets and stuff and you just buy whatever's whatever's available and you eat whatever's available. If you're going to be fussy about your food, you know, don't travel to remote places. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, is it's quite embarrassing in a way the generosity of of poor people in remote places. You know, if you if you come across a, a little mud hut in the in in somewhere high up in a pass in the palmier mountains <clears throat> they will invite you in and they will give you whatever they have and you 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 know you try and refuse obviously you don't want to to you don't want to take food from their mouths but and uh, it, it would be perhaps uh, insulting not to so we always whenever we we had something from them we would always leave some of our food with them right but um yeah, and and you know they they feed you strange things like they'd, they'd have a they'd have a, a, a pot of milk on on top of the fire and then they'd skim off the you know how milk uh, milk yeah. skins yeah. skim off the skin and they put it on a plate and they'd give you the, the you know the the skin of milk and stuff and yeah so food is is not a problem we we would always. We travelled with a with one or two little kind of emergency things in in the pack, but we just ate off off the land, whatever was there. Okay. Um, accommodation again is we never we always carried we always carried tents. We carried the smallest little tents that we could we could carry right. because of the weight, um, just for emergencies in case we found ourselves somewhere <clears throat> in the mountains without anywhere to stay but you can generally find somewhere um you know there, there, there'll be a home stay. someone will will have a room that you can you can sleep in and and what's amazing about traveling in central asia and certainly in remoter parts of russia is it is phenomenally cheap yeah, <laughs> you <know>? i bet <laughs> you, know, you get a room for you get a room for five dollars you know it's just Incredibly cheap. So why, why would you sleep in a tent if you can get, get a room in someone's home for five dollars? You know. So yeah, that wasn't
0: a problem. How many cold showers did you take?
1: Oh, uh, you don't. You, you don't really worry about <laughs> walking. You know, if you, you wash if you can. Um,
2: yeah.
1: if, if you can't, if you can't, you don't. Um, you know, you just you, you just live dirty. But yeah, if you're if you're at a home day, there will be a shower. You know, quite often it's cold, but. You know, you you just pick whatever. Yeah, you take. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> so, tell us about the Russian bikers that you guys got friendly with.
1: Yeah. Oh man. You know that that's the most incredible serendipity. Um, Gareth and I were were just sort of we paused on the side of the road uh, to have a cup of coffee. There was a little little stand there with a samovar, um, boiling water, and we stopped. We had a cup of coffee there and. And, um, this this biker pulled up and he was this young r- young Russian guy. I suppose he would have been early 30s and he just stopped and you know introduced himself and we got chatting and he could speak a bit of English and um, he said, well where are you going And we said, well we're, we're heading for Archangel And he said, well he, he's a member of the, of the Black Bears Motorcycle Club and they they're on their annual their annual trip. And they're heading north of Archangel, uh, right up to the, the the White Sea. They're camping on 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 the beach on the, the White Sea coast, right up north of Archangel. Why don't why don't we join them? So Gareth and I looked at one another and we thought, Yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. So, um, and uh, so yeah, we um, we just we, we we spent the next three days with this uh, with this the Black Bears Motorcycle Club, and it was one of the, the three most incredible. Days that that I've ever had, um, they just welcomed us um, into their fraternity, and um, yeah, just just wonderful. And I mean, they, they were so appreciative of of us being there. I mean, I I, I haven't been hugged by so many bear-like men wow. in my before. Um, you know, there was there was one. Yeah, they also appreciated the fact that it was it was father son travelling together. They I remember the one guy, I couldn't speak a word of English, but he just came up to us and I mean they were they were mostly drunk. You know, they spend their, their entire time drinking. It was it was phenomenal how much vodka they put away. But he just walked up to us and he pointed to me and he pointed to Gareth and then he put his fingers together. You know, father son and then he just touched his heart.
2: Yeah and oh, then he wow. had
1: um, and then there was another guy, um, big guy, massive, massive chap. Um, and he, he didn't speak English either, but one of the other guys spoke a bit of English. And they said that um, this guy, his brother had been murdered in the UK a couple of years back. This guy had, I don't, I don't know the background, but this guy had traveled to the UK and, and somehow he'd been killed. So this chap hated Englishmen. Um, for obvious reasons, but now that he'd met us, he'd completely changed his mind. Oh, that's and good. He, he, good. He sort of pulled open his shirt, <laughs> and there, right across his chest, was was uh, tattooed the name of his brother who'd been murdered. And um, again, he just kind of touched his heart, and then great big bear hug. You know. Um, Yeah, it was was an incredible experience, and you know, you'll find this interesting. That same guy, his name is Sasha, by the way, that same guy that we met over 10 years ago on the side of the road, somewhere in Russia, I kept in touch with him. Oh, really? And he was coming back across Russia in my solo Trans-Russia trip. I actually called in, I spent about four days with him and his family, And then um, after the Russians invaded Ukraine, he and his family just packed their stuff up in the car with a trailer, and they headed and they left Russia that day. And they're now living in in Georgia. That's ex-Russia Georgia, not Georgia
2: America.
1: Uh, They just packed up and left. And um, I am now tutoring his daughter. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. That's one of the things that that traveling
0: wow
1: is, isn't it? Where yeah. just that serendipitous meeting with some strange guy, and and ten years later, I'm I'm tutoring his daughter English. Isn't that amazing?
0: That, that hey, that's the way life works, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's really special. Uh, do you have another Russian trip in the, in in the works?
1: Yes, uh,
0: Ooh, when
1: good. I when I when I say yes, when I say yes, um, obviously uh, I I can't go now because um, I don't think they'd be very happy uh, having uh, a British citizen travelling across Russia uh, with the with the Ukraine war going on. Right, but you know, I'm 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 drawn back. I'm drawn <laughs> back to, to, to Okay, well, there's a there's two things. There's two two things. here. The one is. And you're going to laugh now, but there is a there's a, a woman in in Vladivostok. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, no, don't don't get ideas. Um, <laughs> so um, so there's, this, there's this woman in Vladivostok called Galina. She's about my age, and um, she's uh, she's a widow, and um, she came across me through social media when i had finally reached magadan in the far east of russia and um, i met with a couple of russians there that i had kind of made contact with and they took a photograph of me with them and they put it on facebook and this woman who happened to be a friend of theirs living in vladivostok saw this and I would imagine her eyebrows perked up and she immediately wanted to know, is he married and, and so on. <laughs> and um, I managed to... Yeah, so we, we started communicating and I managed to kind of let her know very very gently that I wasn't interested in any romantic relationship. Um, but we've kept in touch over the years. And, um, you know, we share pictures of our grandchildren. And uh, so she lives in this little village about... Four hours out of Vladivostok, and I am determined. I said to her, "I want to come and visit her, um, just just because we've become good friends over the years, right. and uh, I want to, I want to ride my bike uh, right across Russia again uh, to Vladivostok, and I want to visit her. But I could never ride across there without again doing the road of bones. Uh, I've got to do that again." Um, but again, you're looking at distances. Now, if I'm travelling to Vladivostok, the, this road across Russia to the east, it it, um, it reaches a little a little town called Never, strangely enough, and it then uh, it then divides, and the one uh, heads up north for about a thousand kilometres to uh, Irkutsk, which is the beginning of the road of bones, right. and the right-hand fork goes about two thousand kilometres to Vladivostok. And then from Irkutsk, it's 2,000 kilometres to Magadan, uh, which is the Road of Bones. So if I were to travel all the way to Vladivostok, I would then have uh, a few thousand kilometres to go, and then another 2,000 across the Road of Bones. But but yeah, I I want to do it again.
0: <laughs> isn't there a not there a paved road you can take? <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> well, the road the road the road to Vladivostok is paved. Right. Um, yeah, so so at that at that um, that junction, where the road uh, heads sort of um, in a southerly direction towards Vladivostok, that's all paved. Um, but as soon as you you head north to Irkutsk, that's dirt, oh. um, and from then on it's it's dirt all the way to Magadan.
0: So uh, wow, yeah. So you do this in like ju- July and August, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, do it. Do it in midsummer. I mean, you you know you can do it. Um, you can do it in midwinter because then there, then there's ice roads um, over all the rivers and and stuff. Yeah, but why be um, cold? But uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it in, in winter. <laughs> would
0: you, would, are you going to do that trip with uh, Gareth?
1: No, no. I would absolutely love to do it with him. Um, but you know what? If I did it with him, you know what he would do. He would want to he wouldn't want to do the ordinary um road of bones to Magadan. He would he would want to do the the abandoned section of that road, which I think is about eighty kilometers long, um, where the bridges are all broken down and you've got yeah. to cross rivers and and so on. Um that you know, Gareth wouldn't wouldn't be prepared to do the ordinary one. He would want to do the the stupid one. Um <laughs> but yeah, no, I I would I would absolutely love to do it. But you know, you're talking. You're talking a minimum of three months for a trip like that. Really? And I mean, you're, oh. you're, you're Russian, your Russian visa, you can only get for three months, and and even that, that's a business visa. So it's quite difficult to get because right. you've got to you've got to go through all sorts of slightly dishonest hoops because obviously your trip has got nothing to do with business. So <laughs> there, are there, ways around, you know.
0: So Well, not only um, that, if, if, with three months and the amount of mileage, you, that's a lot of riding you have to do every day. You really got to push. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
1: that's right. It's riding all day, every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with no days off in between. Uh, for, uh, virtually
1: none. I mean, in that Trans-Russia trip, I, I had a, a day or two off in Omsk um, where I had met uh, a couple um, on a previous trip, um, I actually flew into Omsk and spent a week there. Uh, uh, um, just, I'm an English teacher, and and she is she's an English second language teacher. So I, I spent a week with them um, through the British Council. It was funded by the British Council, so I knew them. So I spent two days with them, right. and then um, I had a couple of days break in Magadan. Where I was waiting for the for the, r- the weather to change because I, the, the the trip from Irkutsk to Magadan took me three days and it virtually rained on me for three days. Wow! And it was, it was pretty miserable. Um, and I wanted I I couldn't I couldn't cope with that again. So I, I I needed to wait for a break in the weather. So I spent a couple of days then, and I had, I had two days break um, in uh, uh, Lake Baikal. Which was, uh, again, just quite an incredible experience. Lake Baikal is, yeah. is just remarkable, you know. But other than that, it's pretty much, you know, riding, riding every day.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, I, I'm just tired just hearing you tell me that. Uh, let, let's talk about your audiobook process. Did you enjoy doing the audiobooks? Yes. Yes. Sorry, I've i just looked at my map here, and and I've made a uh, I've
1: made a mistake. Oh, um, I've I've used the word I've used the the town Irkutsk. It's not Irkutsk. It's Yakutsk. Um, Irkutsk is um, is the is much closer to uh, to the the uh, Lake Baikal. Um, it's Yakutsk that is the beginning of the of the road I would I would hate people listening to this to uh, to get the wrong city. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry, just to sidetrack a moment. I sure. mean, what, what's fascinating about about uh, Yakutsk is um, is that it's this the most sort of northerly um, city in the world where it's built on permafrost. So yeah, all really? of the all of the buildings are built on concrete piles, which are driven into the permafrost, and they're all they're all about sort of four foot above the ground, um, and uh, and And what's strange is that because of the of the permafrost sort of melting and 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 freezing and the land kind of moving is that you 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 find strange things starting to kind of push their way through the road surface or through the pavement. so you'll get a like a like a, an an old stump of a tree that starts working its way out of the ground <laughs> through wow. the pavement. It's a nice,
0: incredible place. Uh, but anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, the audiobook process, <laughs> You, you uh, I, I rather enjoyed the way you uh, recorded that. Uh, your, your voice was, I'll use the word smooth, soothing. You know, you, you, I didn't feel nervous listening to your voice like even though you might have been going through some harrowing experiences I was like he seems calm
1: <laughs> yeah well you know as, as with all these things you know funny and I'm sure you might have experienced it you 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 go through hell in a place where you, you you're asking yourself why are you here and and you know you're never going to do this again and then it's not very long after you get home that You forget all the bad times and you remember the good times yeah. and you start you start thinking about your next trip, you know. Yeah, um, and it was interesting. I did, um, I did a I haven't written anything on it because I was planning uh, to conclude this trip. I did uh, just before COVID, I did a, a three month trip, uh, right around America, Canada, and Alaska. Um, and I was riding a, a V Strom 650. Oh, nice. Um, on that trip. Uh, unfortunately, I crashed it north of the Arctic Circle on my way back from um, Tuktoyaktuk, and uh, that managed to manage to extricate it from the swamp where I'd uh, I'd ridden off the, wow. the road, and uh, I managed to get uh, sort of stitched it together again with zip ties, and uh, the plastics were all smashed up, and I zipped it together and finished the trip, uh, and I was planning to carry on right through uh, South America um but unfortunately the insurance company they scrapped the bike they they totaled it <laughs> they paid me out but i but i lost the bike and then COVID hit, so um my my planned trip down through central and south america ended but um i hope maybe one of these days i'll be able to be able to do that again but yeah i i don't quite know how i get on got onto that but you were saying oh yes you were saying my voice is kind of Soothing. Well, that's nice to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you because know, it's hard to. I, I guess it, you you want to convey the feelings and emotions maybe that you're feeling at that time, but when you're removed from the situation, you, yeah, it's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yes,
1: you don't you don't want to be overly dramatic. You know, yeah, and that true. just that sounds a bit pathetic, doesn't it? Um, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad to hear that because I'm very much an amateur. All right. So um, I, I'd never done any of this recording before. And, and as I said, the first time I, I looked at it, I, I went on, on the internet, as you do, and, and checked out what you need to do. And I thought, no, there's no, no chance. I can't do that. It's just too difficult. It's too sophisticated. It's just... And then a couple of years later, I had another look at it. And um, I realized that, that you could make yourself a very, a small little soundproof booth, if you want to call it, You know, a couple of pieces of plywood with um, sound reflecting foam inside, Mm -hmm. and uh, make a little booth which um, is about the size of your computer, enough to put a book and a microscope in, sorry, microscope Mm -hmm. microphone in, with a little light. And then um, I spoke to a friend of mine who who does a bit of recording professionally, and he recommended the microphone that i used so i bought a professional microphone and then i just launched into it and um i i was always i always felt that it that it, it was pretty amateurish and that it would sound like i was an idiot and and it no. would be embarrassing but yeah people who have kind of commented on it and have contacted me about it have assured me that it sounds okay.
0: So oh, they sound great. Yeah. They really do. They really sound wonderful. Uh what what Thank how you. I mean like for example, let, let's take two fingers on a juggler. Are you, because that is yeah. the longest of your books. Uh yeah. how long did it take you to, to record that?
1: I suppose I suppose it would have taken about three months.
0: Really? Wow. Did you think it was going to yeah. take that
1: long? Yeah well that's because I Spend a lot of time editing out mistakes. <laughs> 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 no, maybe no, maybe three months is too long. You know, yeah, chop off a month. Um, it's it's a it's a long drawn out and very tiring process. Yeah. You know, you, you can't sit in front of a uh, in front of a microphone and and read for hour upon hour upon hour. Your voice just gets worn out. Yeah. You know. And um, and so you yeah you know, I can only do a few hours a day, and, and then I find I'm just making I get tired and I'm, start, I'm just making too many mistakes and I'm having to re-record, you know, one sentence five times because every time I record it I make a mistake and, right. and you just get you know. um, but then once you've done all the raw recording you've got to go through the whole book again and and uh, edit out all of the errors. And then you've got to go through the whole book again just to make sure um, there aren't any any little bits you've left out or any things to – So it's you know you, you're actually going through a, a long book three times. Yeah. And wow. then uh, and then you've got to upload the whole thing, which is is also fairly time consuming. But yeah, know, it takes time. Yeah. So you so you rather enjoyed it though. Oh yeah yeah I mean look it, it's a whole it's a creative process isn't it? Yeah, it, it's absolutely. Like, it, you know, it's like when you're writing a book, the the actual writing of it. I, I don't I don't write my books to make myself money.
0: <laughs> I don't make a lot of money. money. Underlying yeah. underlying purpose,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, ah. I write the books because I enjoy I enjoy writing the books. I enjoy having a published book in my hand that I have produced. Yeah. Um, I like hearing from people who've read the books and saying that you know they've loved reading it and it's inspired them and it's made them want to do stuff. And, and it's like an artist who does a painting and looks at it and thinks, you know what, that's good. I like that. Um, and so the writing, it's a creative process, and then the recording is is a, is another. It's just a different form of communicating. You're communicating audibly instead of communicating with text. And yeah, I, I it gives me a it gives me a, a buzz to um, to kind of do something yeah. and know that this is something that I've written and something that I've enjoyed doing and that I'm sharing with the world. You know, it's it's special.
0: Do you find yourself as you know, now, you know, years after you've completed all this, do you find yourself ever, ever going through your books and tempted to go back and like redo parts of it um not
1: no, the only time i would like to go back and redo things is when when occasionally i've read one of my books and i found a typo and it frustrates the life out of me because yeah. you know, when you when you're writing a book and then you you finished writing it and then you proofread it and then you proofread it and then you and then you you, you type it out for or for 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 amazon or something and then you've got to proofread it again and by the time you've 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 published it you've probably gone through the book at least seven times and you're so sick and tired of it and then despite <laughs> yeah. having gone through it with a fine tooth comb you know like seven times and then you read the published book and you still find a couple of typos oh sure and it's so annoying um, but the very thought of trying to go back in and and correct the typo and redo the whole thing, you just thought, you know what? Whoever's reading it can just think, oh, you made a typo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. At that point, and the forget same, it. You know, and the same with the audio. You know, you you go through, you recorded it, you're listening, and you, you hear there's something that, that the sound is not quite. It's getting a bit muffled. You know, when you, you're reading it into the microphone and then perhaps you look down while you, you're reading the next sentence. So the, there's a little bit there that's slightly muffled or the volume like And you haven't quite edited it, got it back to as it should be. And you think to yourself, you know, should I go back and redo this? And the effort involved and, you know, trying to trying to record... A sentence into something that you recorded like a week before yeah. and trying to get the sound the same is virtually impossible. Yeah. You know, it just sounds different. Yeah. You know that it's been kind of edited in. So you end up trying to perhaps reading an entire paragraph or a page and trying to trying to fit it in so no one will notice.
0: <laughs> did, uh, did you? I guess you recorded this on your computer or did you use a separate device? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah on my computer, sitting at my desk here, with a little in my little tiny sound booth. Oh, okay. um, but you get, to the, you get to the point where you think, you know what? I, I've done my best, um, and I'm just going to let it out there. The, uh, it, it's it's not professional. It's, it's got a few little glitches, and, and sometimes the, the sound quality is it's not quite as it ought to be. But you know what? I don't care anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it, 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 I guess I, I thought the recordings were fantastic, and I really enjoyed them a lot. Uh, what's, what software did you use to record them? Oh, uh, uh, The software that Audible provides. Oh, really? So They, they provided you with something. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I didn't know that. How about that? Okay, so well, uh, what? How can people learn more about you and what you're up to next?
1: Oh, Ted, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not great on social media. I'm you know I'm not sitting there on Facebook posting stuff and um, <laughs> and, and taking selfies and and you know and trying to preen and show how attractive I I look. Um, <laughs> I, just, I I hardly I hardly Do anything on social media, so um, you do have a website. Yeah, I've got a website, but that was, you know, that was a website that Gareth did for (laughs) Gareth did for me about twelve years ago. (laughs) Oh, really? No, yeah, no. It's it's just there, and and I publish my books, and they're there, and I don't promote them, and I don't. I don't tout them and I don't go to book shows and I don't, I just, you know, they're there. And if anyone sees them and stumbles across them and buys them, wonderful, if not, well, so yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, uh, You know, I'm there and um, (laughs) my photographs are kind of, I think photographs of the trips are on there. Uh, I think you can, you can, uh, you can get a link to my to my photographs I think there's photographs on my website as well but yeah a few. just from what i said I, I i haven't kind of looked at it or done anything to it for,
0: for about 10 years <laughs> yeah because there's a few books missing <laughs> 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 but speaking of books i i am backtracked just a little bit but speaking of books it's not just the motorcycle travel books but you have a bunch of of other books that you've written that are on there why don't you you tell us what you got i'm
1: so so glad you asked me about that ted yes (laughs) yes i hope people have got pens and paper ready um I started off writing in South Africa. I started off, as an English teacher, so I sure. started off writing. My first, my first books were were teenage novels, novels aimed at the kind of uh, what 10 to 15 year bracket, and they were about teenage issues. And I wrote, I published eight hmm. of those. Um, and they did very well in terms of of literary acceptance. Uh, I, I won a number of literary prizes for those, if I can be humble enough to say so. And then I thought, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start writing an adult novel, uh, which was maybe was was one of the worst decisions I've made. <laughs> my, my teenage novels were doing so well and, and um, were being, the one was being pres- prescribed, prescribed as a set work in, in, in uh, schools in South Africa. Um, and, and the publishers were kind of in a way competing to, to have me. And our, every book that I, I wrote was accepted straight away. So oh, I could nice. have carried on writing and I was writing two books a year.
0: Wow. that's
1: impressive i stopped writing teenage novels and started writing an adult novel and uh, it was very special it was very very sort of precious to me because it was on the the theme was conscientious objection um and as a white south african having grown up in apartheid um every south african male a white male at the end of school had to do a year's national service Okay, only whites, because obviously they didn't want to train the the, the blacks (laughs) how to use guns because, uh, you know, uh, and so did my national service. But there there were a couple of just a handful of guys who who simply said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm I'm, going to be a conscientious objector. And the problem with that is in South Africa, if you if you refuse to do your national service, you you had uh, you could be jailed for up to five years. Wow. And there were a couple of young guys who actually went to jail because they refused to do their national service. And I thought, you know, with the violence in South Africa and all of that stuff that was happening, I thought I was going to write a book on conscientious objection. So I I spent five years writing this book. I did a lot of research. um, I visited a prison. So I, you know, really immersed myself in this whole thing. And I produced this book. Um after five years of work. And again, if you think if I'd carry on writing my teenage novels, it might have been I might have written ten teenage novels and had them published in that month. So I, I I'm Look, set it out for publication, I got it accepted by a South African publisher it was accepted by uh, Andre Deutsch in um, in Europe and all was going uh, and then suddenly I got an email saying oh the, um, the paperback division has decided that there's not enough money to be made so they won't be publishing the hardback section said no if the paperbacks are not going to publish they're not going to publish, the South African publisher said without the European one they can't publish and it That was the end of that, five years' work. Um, I wrote another two um, adult novels. The one was looking at the whole land issue in South Africa. You know, there's this huge land issue in South Africa where the majority of land was owned by white people and black people were pretty much disenfranchised. And so I looked at that in my second novel, uh, by the way, the first one was called A Matter of Conscience. Have you all written that down? Matter of Conscience by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Francis- <laughs> <laughs> um, the second one was called Life Blood, Earth Blood, and and I mean, I just those those two books are the best things that I've ever done. Um, absolutely i just love them i'm proud of them every every page of them i'm proud of them but they've sold virtually nothing wow um, that's amazing yeah, yeah just a huge amount of time and effort of my life went into those i'm incredibly proud of them but you know i've so- sold virtually nothing um and then i started writing my travelogues and i certainly will never write another novel it's just too much hard work you mm, know Yeah. and you just you know the return is so so small whereas with my travelogues, um you know there's this huge market of motorbikers out there who who are interest, interested in having that vicarious experience of of uh, sharing a, a an, an incredible journey with someone who's done it and right. uh, i enjoy i love writing them they're easy to write because I, I, I you know I, I have a little notepad in, in, in my tank my tank bag and, and I just keep jotting down notes constantly all day whenever we stop, I'm jotting stuff down. Nice. So you know that's I, a lot of people who have kind of reflected on my on my travel
0: logs have said that
1: they've said that it's almost as if they are there with
0: me. right. And and, what's,
1: what, and well,
0: the, if I may, yeah? what, what yeah. makes it great is that you are the author and you are narrating the book. So we're yeah. hearing it in your own voice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important. Absolutely.
1: Um, but the fact that the fact that I'm actually taking jotting down stuff, uh, sometimes like like in the moment. Um, so and then you'll notice that a lot of my travelogues are written in the present tense. Um, so I'm writing. Uh, well, I am actually writing them as it happened right there. And then when I get home, I've got all my notebooks and I just I type it all up and then polish it and rework it. And and that's I think that that creates the realism that there is in the books,
0: you know. Yeah. Wow. I also did a uh, the, the Plymouth Dakar. Yeah, the old bangers rally. That seems really interesting. <laughs> so are you going to make that into an audiobook? Um I think I have. You did? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I have
1: to check that I th- out. I think I have. Yeah, That was my first. That was my first experience of riding across the Sahara, wow. and and we did it in an old for, an old Ford, Ford Fiesta that I'd paid, I paid about eighty pounds for, um, so that could be what under a hundred dollars. Yes. And with, with old Ford Fiesta, you know, you let the tires roll right down. So, so so soft that you can see the bulge, right? And you're just riding across trackless desert with a guide. Um, that was one of the most incredible experiences of my life.
0: Wow! You know, <laughs> and then you got a, uh, a you did a bicycle journey and a and a journey by foot also. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that you know, I've got to. I've got to thank my dad for that. Um, my dad was was this incredibly adventurous man. Um, he was a yachtsman. He'd done he'd done some amazing yacht uh, yacht trips. He's built his own yacht. He's he'd done the, the Cape to Rio yacht race. Um, and when yeah, when I was was it when I was in was it eleven? I think it was when I was eleven. Yeah, and my brother was thirteen. Um, we we walked. My dad, my brother, and I walked from Durban to Lorenzo Marx in Mozambique, there were about three hundred and seventy miles, um, sleeping on the side of the road. All we had was we just had uh, homemade sleeping bags. Um, so that was when I was eleven. And then two years later, my dad, my brother, and I we rode bicycles from Durban to Byra, which was twelve hundred miles. Wow. Um, yeah. Again, just no tent, just a sleeping bag, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, and I think that that kind of sowed the seeds for adventure. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to do, I wanted to do that with my son and my daughter. Okay. So when, that's why, that's why, when my son was eleven, sort of same age as I was, I took him on that motorbike ride around Lesotho. And then when my daughter was eleven, same same age, end of primary school, um, she wasn't in a motorbike, she was into horses. So we went into Lesotho and I did a I did a, a horse ride with her. We just we got these horses, we hired these horses from the locals and we just rode for three days straight across Wow. Is it, um, and I did that with my daughter. So um, you know, I think it's 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 sowing the seeds, isn't it? In sure. your children. Um, and, and uh, teaching them a love for adventure and, um, and life. yeah, it's important. Yeah.
0: Are you, are you going to do a book about your, uh, Canada U S trip? Well, I've written, I've written it, but I don't think it's, it's enough.
1: I, I don't want to, you know, traveling in America, Canada, Alaska is very tame.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> You're going to the wrong places.
1: <laughs> yeah, even though, yeah, even though I, I, you know, I rode all the way to Prudhoe Bay and yeah. I rode all the way to, to the uptime, Um I just found that, that what I had written, I mean, I could publish it, but what I'd written, I didn't feel had enough... To warrant it, I didn't. Someone, I didn't want someone to read it and think, "Oh, well, yeah, okay." Um, so I wanted to finish the trip all the way down to <clears throat> the southern point of South America, and then put the whole thing into sure. one book. Oh, so, you've got time. Yeah, it's still. It's sitting. It's sitting there in the in the back of my mind. And if if I do finish. If I do finish that trip through South America, um, I will then include it and publish the, the, the together. But you know, the, the thing is, there's other parts. I mean, I'm 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 off to India in in July. I'm I'm flying to India. I've got a three week trip that I'm going with a group in northern India, in the foothills of the Himalayas, for three weeks. And I just want to I just want to sort it out because I'm i I'd love to to do a long trip throughout India. Right. Um, so that perhaps might be my next trip, wow. and then if the war in in Ukraine stops, then I'd like to go back to Russia, and then perhaps the the third choice uh, is is to carry on through Central and South America. Um, but then you know I'm I'm I am. It's funny you know, you know, you know talk about the age thing and um, on this uh, on this. Uh, bike ride that Gareth and I did on the Isle of Man um, three for three days. We just got back yesterday from it. There was a guy there who was um, who was I think he was 64 or something and and he was saying yeah he's gotta gotta do all the trips that he wants to do uh, until 70. He kind of made 70 as as the cutoff. And I said to him, why why have you made 70 your cutoff? You know and, and there was, for him it was just an arbitrary cutoff. And um, for me, I'm I'm nearly I'm I'm pushing seventy-two now, and you know I'm I'm still quite capable of doing right. many more trips. Age is it's not it's not age. It's it's your desire, isn't it? Exactly. It's your it's your heart. It's your motivation. Um, Ambition. So long as you reasonably fit. Yeah, you know, you
0: know I I my mo- my mother is eighty-five and i keep for years i've been telling her just keep moving that's it just keep moving the moment the moment you become still is when Mm. life ends yeah you got to keep moving. so yeah you've got years keep going (laughs) keep going yeah (laughs) um any uh last words or advice to anybody who wants to uh travel russia (laughs) um yeah i travel we'll we'll well, let's do it, do it in two parts, Ted. Uh, yeah. First
1: of all, anyone who wants to sort of step out and do a, a bit more adventure travel um, is just do it. You know, when when I was contemplating my trip across Africa and I decided I was going to take my 17-year-old son and then I got cold feet and I thought, no, hold on, you know, you, you, this is dangerous. You know, what, what happens if my son died? Uh, you know, my wife, how would I how would I approach my wife and, and tell her that, that my son had died? that I'd you know, he'd kill killed him through the trip that I was doing. Right. And I, I and, and traveling across Africa is a is a pretty it's places it's a pretty scary place. You know, there's there's some there's some ugly places there and a lot of wars happening all the time. And I found one guy who 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 was running a, a sort of a Trans-Africa um, company that was doing it on these big four by four bedford trucks and stuff. And I just asked his advice and I will never forget his advice to me. And he just said to me these words just do it. You'll never regret it. And and that for me was the decision. Yeah. Yep, I'm doing it. And I did it. And it was hard. It was a hard trip. But I'll never regret it. And it it you know, it set the ball rolling for all the other trips. So um just make a start. And and the first the first one you do, you you you're a little bit scared, right? You think, Oh my gosh. But once you've done it, you think, Oh, that, that wasn't bad and you go a little bit further. I mean, the first time I, I, I went into Russia, I was, I was, I was terrified. I, I just thought that the, the, the moment I crossed the border, I thought that the police were gonna arrest me and I was gonna get locked up, um, you know. And, and then that was okay. So I did the next one to Murmansk and I felt more comfortable. And then the next one. And I've got to the point now, and, and I know this sounds self-serving, but and I don't mean it like that at all. But I could now, um, in a week, I could pack up and head off on a on a on a motorbike trip right across to the furthest side of Russia with a week's notice, because it's it's not the unknown anymore, you know, and and once you've done something, the fear goes. Yeah. So if you're planning on a on thinking about a trip and you and you feel the trepidation, you think, oh, what can happen? Um, just give it a go. You know, make a start and and don't listen to all the traveler's tales about about all the horrors that are going to take place because most of them are rubbish anyway. And and the majority of people, no matter where you go, are decent. Yeah. They're kind people. They, they're there to help you. So, yeah, your bike's going to break down. or You're going to get lost or something's going to happen, but there will always be someone who will be there to help you. So, and so just um, do it just just do it traveling in russia you know it's a bit of a hassle getting the visa um but you can get the visa and then yeah do it you absolutely amazing a, a remarkable country to
0: travel in excellent well lawrence i want to thank you very much for being on a podcast you've been an absolute pleasure to talk to and i look forward to getting through the rest of your books Uh, everything I mean just everything's been just so wonderful and again thank you very much for taking the time out to uh, talk with me don't go anywhere I want to talk to you and uh, thanks Ted thank you sir Motorcycle Man Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you'd like to help and get those that are dealing with the hardship of cancer and see your money go to something that actually makes a difference, get on over to org to donate. And the Gold Star Ride Foundation is helping families of fallen soldiers. If you'd like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, get on over to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. And let's help long-haul Paul Peeland complete his mission to ride a million miles for MS. Now, he was told years ago that a cure for MS was a million miles away. So he decided to ride that million miles for that cure. You can help him by going to longhaulpaul.com and donate to his quest for that cure for MS. Hey, thanks for joining me and Lawrence here in the V-Twin Cafe, where he told us about his books and his travels through Russia and other experiences. Now, you can learn more by going to LawrenceBransby.com. Links will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website at MotorcycleMen.us. Hey, don't forget to get on over to the Ride with Ted YouTube channel and watch some of the many videos I have there. If you would also like to su- subscribe, that would be a tremendous help to the channel and also to the podcast. Hey, for the rest of the Most Uncle Men team, thanks for listening. And remember, boys and girls, we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Ride safely, kids.